Florida Matters is supported by WUSF members just like you. Your donation of $5 or $25 will help ensure public radio thrives. And thanks to Candy Olson, an additional $50 will be added to your donation. Visit WUSF.org match to maximize your gift today. This is Florida Matters, I'm Matthew Petty. At the start of the pandemic, there were big questions about when and how offices would reopen. For a lot of workers, the pandemic was a crash course in remote work. People had to get used to working from a home office or wherever they could find space. And while remote work has in some cases freed up time by eliminating the commute, it's also blurred the boundaries between work and home life. More than two years after the beginning of the pandemic, businesses are still figuring out what the new normal looks like. Today on the show, we'll talk with psychology professor Tammy Allen about the payoffs and the pitfalls of remote work. First, though, a conversation with Tampa Bay Business Journal real estate editor Ashley Gerbel-Kreitzer about how the last two years have reshaped the business world in the region, how business leaders are rethinking the physical office and how they're adapting to a hybrid workforce. Thanks so much for joining us, Ashley. Thanks for having me. So lately, we've seen what's happened to the residential real estate market in Tampa Bay and pretty much everywhere in Florida. Home prices are skyrocketing. I wonder what's going on in the commercial real estate world, though. What are you seeing? So it's very different by segment. I would say what's happening in the office market and the retail market is definitely not what's happening in the industrial real estate market. But Tampa and all of Florida really are an anomaly, right, compared to the rest of the country. I mean, I think we're seeing prices on the on the commercial side, they're also skyrocketing, similar to what you mentioned in the residential market. It's just different forces at play. I think office and retail are a little challenged. They're not as challenged as people expected to be coming out of the COVID pandemic, but industrial real estate is seeing absolutely incredible gains in pricing and rental rates. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about how the pandemic and the shift to remote work has affected demand for office space because there were some big question marks at the very start of the pandemic, right? In the early stages of 2020, people were just not sure how things were going to look a year or two down the track. Unfortunately, I think there's still a lot of uncertainty in the office market because you're absolutely right. Remote work is a huge trend. A lot of folks have shifted to completely remote. But what is actually the most challenging for decision makers to figure out is this hybrid model where some folks are remote, some folks are in the office. And it's just a, a challenge to figure out how much space do you need because the old equation of 200 square feet per employee no longer applies if everyone's not in the office every day. So it's it's a tricky calculus right now. We are still seeing office leases being signed. And, you know, some of those are driven by renewals that came up. Some of them are people who have made up their mind. They're committing to a physical office. And some of them are people who are, you know, hedging their bets and hoping they figured out their space. I think one of the most notable examples in Tampa is K-Force. They moved out of Ybor City. They signed, I think it was a 30,000 square foot office lease in Midtown. And their entire model is called Office Occasional, which means come in for a meeting. You know, they definitely don't expect to see you every day. So... I think that it's really up to the company and there's still a lot of unknowns. No matter even if you think you figured out, okay, we're gonna have everyone come in on Wednesday, this you know, Wednesdays is our day in the office. I mean, how much space do we need for that? There's still a lot of unknowns. 
I was reading um, some of what you were writing back in early 2020, Ashley, and, and you wrote about the effect of the pandemic on commercial real estate and how businesses might adapt. And one of the people you talked to was Ryan Kratz with Colliers International. And he was saying that 10-year leases may not work for businesses who need more flexibility to adapt quickly to new conditions like what came up in the pandemic. Are you seeing a change in lease lengths because of you know, what happened and what's transpired over the last couple of years? You know, the largest deals that got done in Tampa, especially on the office side, no, they're still kind of sticking to that seven to 10 year lease. I mean, those are also very large companies that it's a little bit different. There, there's a little more stability there than a small business. So we haven't seen those length terms shorten significantly in the biggest leases. And just thinking about this idea of an occasional office, one of the big headlines over recent months has been this notion of the great resignation even uh, last year but are you seeing businesses that have the resources to offer something a little extra for potential employees do something to their office space to make it a little more attractive as an added incentive so we are definitely seeing companies that think that's the way to lure employees there's a lot of companies that are investing in their office space and using some of those amenities that i think now almost feel a little dated a little mid mid aughts right like the the air hockey tables and beanbag room and whatnot right bring your dog to work like things that feel very like early aughts tech boom i think we're seeing those come back as an amenity to get people in the office but what workers want what we hear over and over and over again is flexibility they want the flexibility to choose if they work in the office, when they work from home, when they want to schedule a doctor's appointment, whatever it is, because it's no longer life-work balance. It's kind of life-work integration, because if we're going to be working all the time, then you've got to be doing that life admin stuff during the workday sometimes. And a business is willing to make some concessions, like say they have a lot of remote workers, like how, how far are they going to make sure that people have what they need at home or you know, they can they can do their job just as effectively no matter where they are. I think some of the big tech companies even have stipends, right? Like, you know, here's your work from home stipend and whether you spend that on a new office chair or a Peloton or whatever it is that's going to make your work from home experience better. That is something you're seeing at like the highest levels of tech and, and big companies that want to promote flexibility and remote work. I don't think smaller companies have the resources to offer that sort of stipend or or amenity package, but it, it's happening at high levels. And are you seeing, like, is it bigger companies with more resources that are able to be creative about how they move forward and, and attract the talent they want and retain workers? Like, because you talk about, uh, you know, companies that can that can offer some of these things that maybe smaller companies don't. So have some companies without those resources just gone under because of everything that's happened over the last couple of years? I don't know if anyone has gone under because of one specific thing, right? It's a death of a thousand cuts. There was the COVID challenges, inflation, people wanting to work remotely. So I think there are lots of different reasons companies are struggling these days, and it's hard to pin it on any one thing. But absolutely, larger corporations have an advantage because the Great Resignation, a lot of it was fueled by money. I mean, we can talk all day about, you know, fun office games and, you know, craft coffee on tap and whatever, but people need to get paid. And we've seen a lot of people really spike their salary by making big moves and usually to a bigger corporation. Right. So pay and flexibility to the the biggest uh, winners when it comes to what employees are looking for. 
Right. I mean, what else is there, right? The ability to live your life on your terms and make enough money to do it comfortably. One of the companies that you wrote about recently in the Business Journal was PricewaterhouseCoopers in the West Shore Business District. Um, what happened to their office space when they moved to remote work or what's happened since then, I suppose? Well, they had to put it up for sublease. And they are a fascinating case study of someone who discovered during the pandemic, hey, remote work works really well for us. And they had a beautiful trophy office building in Met West, which is a mixed use project in West Shore. And, you know, midway through 2021, they just said, no, people don't want to come back and we want to keep them. So they had to put their space up for sublease. And we are seeing other companies take that space who believe in more of an office presence. But PwC really came out. They were one of the first, I think it was October 2021, to come out and say no. And that building wrapped up construction in 2019. Some of the floors weren't even entirely built out. Like they had, they had room for expansion in that tower and they hadn't taken all of it because they were, it was like room for additional growth. And then the pandemic hit, everyone went home. Are there some businesses that really have done well and, and you can sort of look at some of the things that happened in the pandemic and say, that's why, like, I'm wondering, I'm wondering which businesses have flourished because of what's happened since 2020. I don't think anyone flourished because of it. I think they flourished in spite of it. And I think a great example of that is Bloomin' Brands, the Tampa-based parent company of Outback Steakhouse. And they had made so many investments up front, like in the years leading up to the pandemic and delivery and takeout. I mean, if you think back to 2016, 2017, you know, Outback was laying off corporate employees and droves. It wasn't a growing, thriving company. And now they're they're doing pretty well. And it's amazing to think of the fact that they were a casual dining brand and they came through the pandemic. I wouldn't say unscathed. I don't think anyone came out unscathed, but doing pretty well. What do you think the future of uh, business districts in a city like Tampa looks like with, you know, thinking about hybrid workforces and how companies are having to adapt? You know, if it's not COVID-19, there could be some other major seismic shift that affects businesses down the track. I'm wondering what that's going to mean for the physical landscape of a city like Tampa. I think for a city like Tampa, it's it's a pretty critical question. And we still don't know the answer because with hybrid work, even if these office buildings are 100% leased, they're likely not 100% occupied. And if you're a restaurant or a dry cleaner, you opened in the urban core you were, that was predicated on 100% of the office workers being down there because downtown Tampa is still very much anchored by its office market. I think St. Petersburg, there's a compelling argument there that it's the residential market, the nightlife, the art scene, but Tampa's anchor is its office market and not all of those employees are back and you know they may never come back. So it's a changing calculus. And I think the residential base in downtown Tampa is growing. That's a lot of people to make up. Well, I guess the flip side of that too is because more people may be working from home, that may change what neighborhoods look like too. If people are conducting business out of their out of their homes, that's that's going to change things too. We've seen a little bit on the residential side of that where people want an extra room or a den or a half bedroom just to serve as a home office or a workout room. So I, I think that is changing the residential market. I wanted to ask you about shopping malls too, because that's been you know those have been in decline for years now but are you seeing a bit of a comeback for brick and mortar stores as a as people began to emerge from you know lockdown uh, the, the lockdown we had in 2020 or just kind of go back to to shopping in person and do do malls have a future do you think i think some malls will always have a future 
you know, I think that malls will never go away completely. I mean, I think it was in 1999. There were lots, I think, time or fortune declared the mall dead. And clearly there's still some thriving malls. I think real retail real estate is really nuanced. And I think that retailers that are in an urban shopping district like Hyde Park Village are going to thrive because you have tourists come there. You have people killing time between before their reservation, there's a handmade candle shop there where you can make your own candle and people need to do things while their candle firms up. They've done a great job with the tenant mix there of having things to do in addition of things to buy. And that's really the best calculus for retail because it's hard to get somebody out of their house to buy something when they can do that on Amazon seamlessly. But when there's things to do, well, then I'm going to end up buying a few things while I'm there. So I think that it's those cool shopping districts that are probably going to have the most success versus an enclosed shopping mall where you just go buy your thing and and walk through that cavernous hallway that it just feels like such a dated experience. Ashley Gerbel-Kreitzer, real estate editor for the Tampa Bay Business Journal. Thanks so much for your time. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. You're listening to Florida Matters. We're talking about remote work and the impact of the pandemic on how businesses operate and what it means for employees. Still to come, we'll talk about what workers like about remote work and some of the challenges with psychology professor Tammy Allen. Welcome back to Florida Matters. I'm Matthew Petty. We're talking about remote work and how the pandemic has reshaped how businesses operate. For many workers, the pandemic was a crash course in remote work, and some businesses fared better than others. For more on what works about remote work and what doesn't, we turn to Tammy Allen. We spoke to her via Zoom. Well, Tammy Allen is a distinguished professor in the Department of Psychology at the University of South Florida. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Matt. Happy to be here. In 2020, you began a study of the rapid transition to remote work brought on by the pandemic. I wonder what some of the takeaways were from that study. Yes, we studied 498 full-time employees across the U.S. who transitioned to remote work due to the pandemic. The study period began at the end of April 2020, so it was still early in the pandemic. And as part of the study, we included an initial survey and then daily surveys from Monday through Saturday over a four-week period. And our goal with this study was to better understand what was predictive of the adjustment to remote work. Uh, To study or assess adjustment, we asked about stress levels, job performance, and overall adjustment. And we included over 60 different predictors. So we tried to include basically everything that we thought might predict adjustment. And there were several key findings that stood out. One of the strongest predictors was feeling a sense of belonging at work. Those who felt more socially isolated adjusted less well. And of course, this might also be, have been exacerbated by the the pandemic and and the lockdown that had occurred. Uh, So it actually wasn't too surprising. Another key finding um, was having a comfortable and productive workspace at home. So we know that many people were working from kitchen tables or sofas on laptops, and in some cases in really cramped conditions, in some cases with with kids at home. So 
it's really important for remote workers to have, for example, a true desk and a true desk chair. And you know, one of the key recommendations we can make from the study is that it's important for employers to help employees with their work from home setups. And by example, for providing a, a stipend for purchasing office furniture. Do you think you would get a different range of responses if you were to do the survey now? And I wonder, you know, now we're two plus years after the start of the pandemic, does it seem to you like people might have kind of found a rhythm with remote work that they wouldn't have had back in April of 2020? Well, I think that these findings probably still hold. We might find some differences in the sense that other findings might also emerge. For example, individual differences might begin to make to matter more. One variable that we didn't study that I wish we had was, for example, extroversion. So we know that there are differences um, with regard to preferences for remote work. There are some individuals who really want to work in the office, and that's likely to, to vary along with those sorts of individual differences, such as introversion, extroversion. But, you know, other big benefits of remote work are going to stay the same, such as reduced commute. That's one of the features that individuals really like about remote work. And people can reinvest that time saved from telecommuting into family and and exercise and getting more sleep. So there are some groups, as you note, that adapted better to remote work. Um, why, Why is it that some people prefer it? And what are some of the kind of key aspects of those groups? Yeah, one factor relates to what we refer to as boundary management. It has to do with the lines that we draw between work and non-work, for example. And there are individual preferences there. Some individuals really prefer to keep their work and non-work very separate, while others are fine with the integration of work and non-work. So for those who prefer integration, working from home is going to come more naturally, while those who really prefer separation, like, for example, the ritual of leaving the house and transitioning out of the family role into the work role. And there are some little tricks that people have tried, right, to try and introduce a sense of separation between work and home, even when they're working out of the home, what are some of the things that people have tried to do to keep some of those boundaries in place? Yeah, exactly. We refer to those as boundary management tactics. And one of the tactics that people started using during the pandemic is what was referred to as the fake commute. So to help designate the end of the workday, they would leave their home, take a walk around the block, or maybe even a short drive in a car to, again, get that same feeling that they're making a transition out of the work role into the family role. Um, Some people will use different devices. So they will have a computer that's just used for work, shut off that computer, and then if they want to, to do some browsing on non-work issues, they'll have a different device for that. Yeah. And then there's also, you know, like 
one of the stories I think I read either 2020 or 2021 was um, discussion around what people wear to the office and the fact that there'd been fewer people buying business clothes because there just wasn't a need for it. But I do think I read about people also making an effort to put on a shirt, sometimes a tie or some formal attire at the start of the workday just to kind of create an extra level of um, separation, right? Is that, is that something that you found in your research as well? Exactly. So some folks will do that in the morning. They will put on their work attire again as part of the ritual of transitioning across roles um, and then change out of that work attire to designate the, the end of the day. And of course, a lot of people really enjoyed what I refer to as the Zoom mullet, having the business attire on top and then the comfy pants on the bottom. Right. Kind of like the um, news presenter who's just wearing a pair of shorts under the uh, anchor desk. Some business leaders, of course, were pretty keen to get employees back to the office and still are, you know, saying they're concerned about a lack of productivity when people were working remotely. Other businesses have really embraced remote work or flexible work arrangements. You talked about the importance of having a comfortable home office environment. What are some of the other keys for productivity when employees are working remotely that you've found in your research? You know, I think extra efforts to remain in communication are important. And we also, we looked at quantity and quality of communication um, as part of our study. And the quality of communication is particularly important. But you don't want a situation in which uh, the employee becomes out of sight, out of mind. Also, you know, being accessible during the times that are designated for work, but also being able to negotiate with the supervisor that there may be times during the regular workday that you're not accessible, for example, for those who still have dependent care needs. And one other suggestion would be to leverage technology effectively to the extent possible. And this is where employers also may need to make extra efforts to provide the training needed to get employees up to speed on new technologies that might be necessary for remote work. Tammy, how would you say businesses that are moving forward with flexible work arrangements and and allowing their staff to continue working remotely, how how are those businesses making sure that their employees have what they need to succeed in this new hybrid, sometimes completely remote work environment? I think that, you know, there are a lot of growing pains right now and employers who thought they would have everyone return to work are rethinking those decisions. So it's really trying to take full advantage of the benefits of remote work while also minimizing the drawbacks. So it's the hybrid work seems to be the best answer in that you can still bring people into the office for collaboration while also giving them the flexibility of having days where they can work at home. For example, some of the more deep thinking work that might be done better Um, and quiet home spaces. And this hybrid work model is the one that the majority of employees want. So I think it's really a matter of organizations 
figuring out the best formula for when to bring employees into the office and when to give them the flexibility to work from home. There's been a lot of reporting on the so-called great resignation where people have been quitting jobs sometimes in large numbers and a lot of businesses have had a bit of trouble in getting people that they need to staff up and get back to you know, full production or full capacity. What role does the pandemic and the transition to remote work play in that story? Yeah, so what the what the data suggests is that, you know, the workers who quit as part of the great resignation primarily left to find other jobs, ostensibly jobs with better pay, better benefits, and importantly, in connection with remote work, better flexibility. Um, a study conducted by LinkedIn found that jobs advertised as having a remote work component attracted two and a half times the share of applications compared to on-site jobs. So remote work is definitely a big attraction, a big recruitment tool for organizations. Has it had some impact on salaries as well? Because, you know, uh, oftentimes somebody will say that they won't move for a job if the pay is not going to be high enough, depending on what the cost of living and whatever the city the uh, job may be based in. But has the predominance of remote work or the increase in remote work options meant that some of that's flattened out a bit? I think so. It's you know, what the data tell us is that individuals are willing to trade some amount of compensation in exchange for the flexibility of being able to work at home. Now, as part of this whole story about the great resignation and what the business environment, the world of work looks like 2021, 2022 and forward, there's also this this question of burnout, right? And we've, we've read stories about that too, but how do companies and employees address burnout in the remote work era? Yeah, I think one of the pitfalls of remote work, and and this is based on data both before and and post-pandemic, is that individuals who work remotely tend to actually work more hours. Um, So they may use some of that saved commute time to actually put in more work hours. And so the danger is if employees aren't turning off work, if they're not properly managing their boundaries, that can result in overwork and subsequently burnout. So it's really important for employees and for managers to encourage employees to detach from work. That includes taking short breaks during the day, as well as also fully detaching after work. And what's the role of technology in that? Because it could be a double-edged sword, right? You may say that technology can help you switch off in some cases, but oftentimes it means people are plugged in 24-7, whether they want to be or not. Exactly. So it's, you know, these same tools that enable remote work also enable us to to work 24-7, as you mentioned. So, you know, technology can both help and hinder and again, I think it's a matter of, of finding the, the best strategies for enabling that detachment, for turning off the computer, the email messages, and to spend that time in, engaged in non-work activities. 
So I think some education and, and training and awareness um, can go a long way to helping individuals craft situations in which they can best use technology to, to find a balance between work and non-work. We've been speaking with Tammy Allen, Distinguished Professor in the Department of Psychology at the University of South Florida. Thank you so much. Thanks. been a pleasure. And that's Florida Matters for this week. You can find us online at wusfnews.org or via Facebook or Twitter. Search for Florida Matters. Denora Prevost is our producer. I'm Matthew Petty. Thanks for listening.